0: Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Welcome to episode one. This week, I am interviewing my friend Kathleen Davies. She is a preaching pastor in the Presbyterian Church. We talk about her early interest as a child in community and the stories of her mother and her aunt, the more light status of the church she leads, and what that means Um, And we talk about welcoming all people into the fullness of God's creation, marriage equality, and we talk about how the events in Charleston have propelled her into the role of being a social justice leader in Houston, Texas. You're really going to want to stick around till the very end to hear her thoughts on how you can bring your dreams into action and her top three ideas on how to jumpstart your joy. This episode is being brought to you by the Dream Into Action Retreat. It's a three-day retreat running November 13th through 15th in Northern California with myself, Michelle Ward, the When I Grow Up coach, and Earl Rivard, who is a working musician. We have room for 33 people to join us as we help you define your creative dream, whether that be blogging, writing, starting a new business, working on an Etsy shop, singing or dancing, or any number of things. We'll help you face down the fears that are holding you back and create a game plan to bring your dream into action. To register for our free webinar on September 29th, which is going to be five ways to bring your dream into action, text the word READY, R-E-A-D-Y, to 66866. That's READY to 66866. And now, without further ado, I bring you the interview with Kathleen Davies. So welcome to Kathleen Davies, a superstar who is my former roommate, a Yale Divinity School graduate, a a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, and an all-around awesome lady. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start off with what you loved most as a child or in school, and if there are like early sparks of joy that you saw, what were they?
1: Um, I guess for me, probably I have always been interested in stories and in the way stories represent um, larger themes. And I think that that is probably an early sign that I was meant to be um, a preaching pastor, a preacher, because all the stories tied together always. So those are really joyful for me. I never wrote stories, but I loved hearing stories. And I think one of my favorite things was sitting around with my mom um, and her sisters and hearing their stories and hearing how their stories would kind of tag team off of each other and build on each other. So they were always interrupting each other and laughing. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like when I grow up, like I want to be part of that, like part of that conversational story, whatever that is. And, and that's really what the church is for me. It's a big conversational story and everyone is always interrupting (laughs) for better or worse. Interrupting each other, but um, but the story just keeps getting better and better, and um, and so I think from early on I thought that's that's what I want to be a part of that big story.
0: Yeah, and there's such a deep sense of community. Even in I could see your mom and your and her sisters sitting there talking. There's such a deep sense of community in that moment too.
1: Mm -hmm. And shared experience. And some people can say, no, no, I no, this is what happened. No, no, this is what happened. Or I remembered it this way. Or this is how it felt but everybody has a part in it, and it's just, that's so sweet to me, and I love when I'm with the members of my church, especially the members that have been there a really long time, and they start telling stories, and um, it's just, they're so bound together by their shared experiences. It's mm-hmm. a privilege to be a part of that.
0: Yes, I agree. That's so cool, and I love that you're the, the kind of minister that is so into the stories, because I think that moves a congregation and a community in a way that not so connected wouldn't wouldn't have the ability to do
1: (laughs) well and it's interesting to try to the church is really changing a lot and to try to help them tell a new story and and not be stuck in an old story of who they used to be like a struggling church that was dying or um, our church was burned to the ground five years ago so we're you know are we the arson church are we the victim church No, like we're the new church, like the church that's moving and growing and to try to help the established membership move into telling a new story with all the new members. I think is really important to come out of a stage of victimization and into a season and a story of hope and newness. And what is God doing now? And where are we called to do together in the future? Because it's a very different story than, oh, sad, woe is me. This is what happened to us. Not to discount that because I know it was really tragic and horrible for them, but that's not that's not who we are. We're not defined by what happened. We're defined by how we move forward and what the story that God is telling today and tomorrow. The new story is, I think, how we want to be defined. I hope that's how we want to be defined. That's how we to
0: be defined. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely, by the future and what we decide to do in the now.
1: Yeah, like who are we today, you know? and how to fit into God's bigger story today, not, oh, gosh, this is what we've done, or this is where we failed, because everybody's story has that. It's good to honor it and to know who you are and that you've been through it. But, you know, the story I want to hear
0: is what's next. And was it hard coming in? Because I believe you started there after the church had been been rebuilt. Right, right.
1: Yeah, I got the benefit of a brand new, gorgeous church. So shiny new. One of the visitors, after I'd been there a month, said, "This church feels like it still has the price tag on it." I'm like, "Yeah, it's like brand new and it's beautiful. It looks like a retreat center. It's gorgeous. They did a really nice job." And I didn't have to be there through that struggle. And so, but I want to appreciate what they've been through. But also the church has changed drastically in the last year and a half. All those new people coming in, like they don't, they don't, some of them don't even know about the fire. Like they're just excited about this cool new church they found. And so to kind of get our identity away from victims into, you know, and maybe victim isn't the right word, maybe away from martyrs. I think there was a lot of martyrdom. We are the ones that stood for, you know, open and affirming and inclusion of the LGBT community. And then look what happened to us. Oh, you know, and instead it's like, we're still the ones that stand for that. We're still the ones that stand for welcome and look how God is adding to our number and look how we're fighting the fight today instead of the victimization. So we're doing better. We are, we're doing better. In fact, I can go weeks and weeks now with no one even mentioning the fire, which is, it's great. It's really great. It's really, it's, it's a hopeful sign. I think.
0: You're working towards that kind of the ministry of what I call welcome home I mean, it sounds like both in the way that you've rebuilt, but also in the community that you are indeed welcoming to to you guys. Right. There...
1: So our church is unique. So I'm part of the PCUSA. It's one of the branches of Presbyterianism, the biggest branch, um, the most historic branch, and the more progressive branch. And so we are divided into synods and then into presbyteries. And our presbytery, which is a very large presbytery, stretches from like College Station to Beaumont, if you... No, Texas. And so that we are the only church in that whole span, which is hundreds of miles, that is a member of the more light community. So we're a more light church, which is like the most open and welcoming and inclusive church you can be. So when people search for Presbyterian gay friendly or open and affirming. We're the church that pops up on your on your Google search. Like we're that church. So a lot of people come to kind of see like what is that all about? Like so you know, what's going on here? And then what they find is just a very welcoming, sweet place. There are, you know, couples in the church, you know, heterosexual couples that have been married for forty years. And then there are gay and lesbian couples that have been together for a long time and then there are single people and then there are, you know, black people and Hispanic people. And um, we have a huge tie to the Cameroonian Presbyterians. And so we have Cameroonian, mostly women. So it's just, it's a very diverse church. The whole point of it is not, you know, we're the gay church. The point of it is that we're the church that believes that when Jesus said welcome, it meant everybody. So Mm -hmm. whether you're, you know, transgender or, Hispanic teenager looking for a safe place like that's that's us we're the safe place
0: that's beautiful and
1: and it's, it's a privilege to be there it really is my actually have a um a lesbian member and she says you know we went to the you know the big splashy gay church but we got tired of being reminded that we were gay like she's like we know we're gay we wanted to be part of a church that didn't have to t- remind us of that like that we're just mm-hmm. part of a church where we're here for church we're not here to you know for a battle cry so mm. it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting balance of political activism and and safety. And so I, you know, I tell them on Sunday mornings, like you come back home to church and be renewed and refreshed, and come to a safe place, and then we send you back out again to to fight the good fight. And it would be easier if I could just keep them all inside. I always say, let's just all stay here.
0: <laughs>
1: let's lock the doors because it's kind of scary right. out there. It's a little bit scary. It is. Um,
0: yeah, but it's it's good. It's a good fight well i i love I love because at least in my own in my own theology, <laughs> and I like to think, well, at least the Franciscans that I'm a part of are of the same mindset, and I think you and I are like minded in this way as well, that really the creation is is the mark i mean I know there's some differences here, but that if you were created then yes you're you're created the way you're meant to be, and you have a reason to be here and and that's there's no there's no footnote to that. Right. There's no but <laughs> the period.
1: Or right. And um we um had Alex McNeil come down from DC and he's the director of More Light, um, Presbyterians and he came down to visit and he is the first fully transgendered, transitioned person seeking ordination um in the PCUSA. and it's just precious and um, fully supported by his home church in Asheville, North Carolina. So he came and he said, what we're doing is honoring the fullness of God's creation. And I was like, oh, that's the ticket. Like, that's, that's the phrase we've been looking for, like the fullness of God's creation and whatever that may be. And he said, you know, everybody has things that are closeted. Everybody has things that they're dealing with. And we are here to bring things out into the light and honor the fullness of God's creation. Since then we've all just been like, yeah, it's the fullness. Not the difference, it's the fullness. And that is something that, you know, I want to be a part of.
0: Yeah, cuz it's so expansive and spacious <laughs> to be in there in that in that realm instead of being in the fearful and kind of contracting and reactive mode. Right. where Because then you're you're exhausted. I mean, even if it's just by by default, like there's, there's, it's hard to operate in a place where you're always afraid. Um, But I I mean, that's not the reason to get out of the space, but. Well, and I think
1: that there is, you know, the big complaint about people are tired of churches being about what they're not, right? Like here's a church Mm -hmm. saying, we're going to tell you who we are by telling you what we're against. And I'm like, no, we're going to tell you who we are by telling you what we're for you know, and we're for our radical inclusion, you know, we're against people harming each other, but, and, or themselves, but we're not, you know, we're not operating under a set of rules that tells you what we're against. That's, that's really not, that's really not helpful. Like it's just not. Helpful.
0: <laughs> well, it, it does change. I mean, maybe that's something the society needs help with too, because that's, I mean, isn't it, isn't it easier to always say like, I, well, I say against this. Right. Um, So that definitely changes the dialogue of of a people, of a town, of a society to say, well, no, why don't we just say what we're for? Right. Right. And I think especially like I'm already like buckle
1: my seatbelt, like going into an election year, already feeling like just tell me what you're for. I'm so tired already of hearing what you're against. Hilarious the other day found out that, you know, Donald Trump claims to be Presbyterian. So like I stood up in front of my congregation and I was like, what fresh hell is this? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what is that? You know, and everyone was kind of laughing, like, how good grief. That's not who we want to be representing us. But he said, then he said, but I've never, you know, sought forgiveness or, you know, I hope that I don't have to seek forgiveness or something, which to me was like, well, Really, the bottom line of being Presbyterian is that we acknowledge our own sin and ask for forgiveness. So um, Trump being Presbyterian just seems almost silly to me. But all I've heard him say is, is who he's against. And all I've heard, you know, most of them say is all they're against. And I'm like, what are you for? Yeah. What are you for?
0: Yeah. Well, and I just, I I knew there was a great Mother Teresa quote about it, so I I quickly searched, and at least this one's gorgeous. If you judge people, you have no time to love them.
1: Exactly. (sighs) Exactly. And I think that's a huge issue with, you know, the struggle for marriage equality or whatever. Like, everyone's so worried about protecting something that it's not their job to protect, that there's no time to love anybody. There's just no no time. We um, celebrated a union in October. Um before um marriage equality came to Texas, which just happened you know feels like yesterday last month, and the union it was interesting because we got threats the night before of you know, don't do this or else, and I was like, really, like what is so terrifying to you know to you about two people who've been together nine years, just standing up in front of a congregation asking for prayers and promising fidelity like okay. that's what we're doing this this does not lessen anyone else's you know marriage vows. It's not a danger to anyone. Good. Like, you know, fidelity is important. And we, um, we believe in a faithful God of promises. So we make faithful promises to each other. That's who we are. It shouldn't evoke any fear in anyone. It should just, it's just, it's not something to be fearful of.
0: Right. Well, and it's so hard because I think for some people, it, marriage equality, what? It challenges what they believe to be true. I mean, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that's right. And I come from a place of love. I mean, what could be greater than love? There is nothing. So mm-hmm. if two people love each other, then yes, it's it's meant to be. And I'm not to question that. And and I want to celebrate it, too. Yeah, I don't understand the anger and the hate from the, I'll say the other side, but, but not to be exclusionist. I just, I don't understand it. I have a hard well, time.
1: And I it. think that, I think that for some people, they have built so much time and energy and life on feeling a certain way or believing a certain thing. And for that to be questioned is just terrifying. And so I feel like it's easier just to keep plugging on instead of saying like, gosh, maybe I was wrong about this. And if I was wrong about this, if I was wrong that God created people this specific way, then what else could I be wrong about? And maybe my understanding of God is wrong. And I think that's terrifying. Like, you know, I think people are like, whoa, then my whole foundation crumbles, which instead what God is saying is, no, like, I'm the same. I'm always the same. And there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm, I've always been the same. I'm consistently unconditional love for you. And, you know, you may have gotten off track here in this self-preservation stance of, fear and judgment, but that hasn't changed God. I mean, God is the same and God is love. And so we have to be about getting on God's agenda, not trying to force God into our agenda. You know, I have one member and I think that her, mo- her mother's struggle with her daughter's sexuality is really about her own faith. It's about her own faith journey. It's really not about her daughter being a lesbian. Her daughter's been a lesbian for almost 40 years. The mother is struggling with well, if that's how God created her, then maybe my understanding of God is different. And maybe my understanding of scriptural interpretation is different. And I'm afraid to even pull out one of these straws because if everything falls apart, you know, what do I have? And I'm saying, well, basically, you basically you come to the Presbyterian Church where you have you and God. You know, I mean, the God is the same and, um, and everything can fall apart and God is consistent. And so you figure out who you are in the face of that great scheme of love. And it's all good news. Like, it's just all good news that love wins. That's where our comfort and safety should be, not in trying to figure out who's allowed to do what. Right.
0: I don't know how we further that. I mean, as your role, I get the sense that it is by being present in a community and by continuing to have that voice and that space for people, that that's how we make what may be slow, maybe fast, but makes the change.
1: I think so. And also just being real and relevant. And, you know, I mean, I think just like I'm, you know, I'm a mom and a wife and just a normal everyday person. So when I can interact like out in the city or in public events and say, look, like there are people that look just like you that have the same education that you have. Um, We're not scary. You know, it's kind of a new I hope a new understanding of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, that this is who we are and it's relevant. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, your grandmother's, you know, theology. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be radical and new. It's really the age old story. I mean, it's in the beginning was love. And that's, that's what we are. It cracks me up when people were like, we need to get back to the basics. I'm like, well, that's what we're doing because the basic is, God is love. God in a Trinity lives in a community of love. And um, so get back to that. Don't get back to like words like submission and, you know, all kinds of other craziness. Get back to the most basic element, which is, you know, God's beating heart for you. That's, that's the basic stuff.
0: Well, and if there's not a comfort of letting go of whatever that is that someone needs to hold to what I would call kind of like an earthly law is is there something that they could at least agree to in the message that God is love and God wants us to love each other? Right.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, and when I stand, um, you know, with my Muslim brothers and sisters and my Jewish brothers and sisters and my Hindu brothers and sisters or my Sikh brothers and sisters um, and certainly with my doubting brothers and sisters, you know, then we can say, okay, I mean, there's a lot that we agree on. And that is that we are created purposely um, out of love. I mean, that's that's where we start. That's that's how we start, and then that's how we treat each other.
0: Yeah, I think, and that's lovely. And I think if that's how we can all go forward, I mean, every day, and just and choose from a place of love instead of the place of fear. And if we can catch ourselves in that moment of me making a decision right now, what is going to motivate this thing? Is it because I'm afraid? then maybe that's not my best choice. But if I can say with my heart, I love this and I love what it's going to do and I, I, I feel love for the other person or the event, then the answer should be yes.
1: Well, and it certainly, I mean, I hope would change our gun control laws in this country because <sighs> then we would not be operating out of a sense of fear.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: because you have a gun, I need a gun. Like, um, no, because you are created in the image of God and I'm creating the image of God, like, I would hope that we would not harm each other. Um, but arming me doesn't help anyone else. <laughs> it certainly doesn't help me. It's interesting. You know, um, I live, I live, like, not too far away from Waller County, which is just in turmoil right now over the Sander Bland death. And um, I have a Methodist pastor friend, um, Hannah, who has been sitting outside the sheriff's office. I think today's, like, day 17. It's over 100 degrees, and she is out there from morning to night every single day just asking for answers, and we're asking for you know, the DOJ to come in and figure out what in the world is going on in this little police force in this tiny town and why it's allowed to happen. And it's interesting because, I guess, for me, the root of the racism that's so systemic here is that there is some sort of hierarchy in God's creation or that like something's askew that my life because I, my skin is white is is, is worth more. Um, And it's just ridiculous and evil and, um, and really sinful. And Mm. I just have been very proud this summer to, to stand and march and be in conversation with my brothers and sisters in the African Methodist Episcopal church. And to understand more of what that day-to-day existence is like, it's astounding. Like it's, it's astounding. I certainly have never been pulled over for anything that I haven't actually done. I mean, I've gotten plenty of speeding tickets, but every single time I've been speeding, you know, I'm not in danger of being profiled. And and the stuff that is happening here, it feels like it's 1965, not 2015. It's It's really it's staggering and to hear or to not hear a prophetic voice coming from the church is really troubling because the church was certainly speaking out in the sixties in the seventies and fifties. And suddenly the church seems to be a little bit silent and I'm like, what is happening? Like, this is, this is injustice and, and we've got to talk about
0: it. And is that a discussion that you just, you're not hearing at all from the church or is it, it sounds like there are, Individuals, at least, that are taking upon themselves to do what they know is right and to start the conversation again if it's been missing.
1: Right. And there, I mean, I think there are certainly the AME Church is certainly leading that discussion and they are very welcoming of our voice. I think, I guess, the struggle for me as the solo pastor of a small church is, you know, trying to figure out not who my congregation is, but how do I serve it well. And sometimes it feels like, gosh, just taking care of my little congregation. Is more than a full time job. And now I'm supposed to be taking care of like all of God's creation. Like it's so much. But I think that God has equipped us and that, um, and God will continue to equip us with what we need. You know, I preach about it every Sunday. There's, there's no way that you can preach during the summer of so much violence and not bring it up. I think it's very irresponsible to act like everything's okay. It certainly is not okay. And it certainly brings up some good conversations in my congregation, and it upsets some people. We're a diverse congregation, and some people are like, I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'm like, yeah, I am too. So what are we doing to fix it? Because it's not going away.
0: You've been with that church just about a year at this point. Yeah, Um,
1: well, I've been there since May, so um, so it's been like
0: a year and, you know, three months, I guess. It's so uplifting to hear that you have, not that I would expect anything different from you knowing you very well, but, you know, like it's amazing how much you've immersed yourself in that community and all of the passionate discussions and, and acceptance and all of that that's coming out and that you're at the forefront of how has it been being there for the first little over a year
1: it's good um it's been exhausting and um and really rewarding and i give a lot of credit to my husband um who jumped in with both feet, you know, and then my parents joined the church. And so, you know, what's better than getting your mom to church? Like so awesome. I mean, it's hard to, to not feel like every sermon's a good sermon when your mom is there saying, That was so great. You're like, hey, thanks, mom. But um the church has grown exponentially during that time, really beyond what I could have possibly foreseen or imagined. We have far more new members than we had like rem- like original members three quarters of them are new members at this point. And it's just impossible not to have it be all encompassing. I mean, I think, you know, if you're going to buy into that idea of community and relationship, then you're in it and it just becomes a new family. And a lot of these people don't have families that accept them. So the church is their family and in um, the church is their sanctuary. And, you know, the church does become, that kind of hub of their life. So that is where they are serving and that is where they are learning and that is where they're worshiping. And um and that's really an ideal situation um for me. That that that's what the church has become. I think that being part of a church that has a history of activism um was a little uncomfortable for me. And I really told them at the beginning, like I'm I'm not your firebrand. Like I'm your shepherd and I will support you, but I'm not You're, you know, I don't really want to be on the news a lot. Like, that's not really what I'm called to do. And so um, the things that we were asked to come and be a part of, like, we were really discerning and trying to figure out, you know, where we wanted the spotlight shown on us or not. And then I think this thing happened in Charleston and everything just changed, you know. And then it wasn't us getting on the news because we were blessing, you know, lesbian holy union like we're getting on the news because we're saying that the churches need to reclaim their sense of sanctuary and safety and that we will not be part of systemic racism and that we stand with our brothers and sisters and I mean there are times when you can be on the news just to be on the news (laughs) and then there are times to be on the news because you're standing in solidarity with people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I really try to be careful about that because we have, um, options to really get a lot of publicity. I don't know. I think the only real, real reason to be on the news is if you're promoting, you know, the abundant life that we believe, um, is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what is
0: prompting us to live this way and be this welcoming, um, Obviously, it's it's mission driven, if you will, not in necessarily the sense of mission that the church will sometimes use, but that you're so intentional, like mm-hmm. I, such a mark of, I don't know, a purposeful leader and like someone who's really got her head on her shoulders. Because it would be easy to give in to the, oh, we could get on the news, like, well, so <laughs> we sure could. Yeah,
1: we sure um, could. And um, and it was interesting because after the Supreme Court ruling, like that weekend. Um, So the Supreme Court ruled that ruling came in on Friday, and I was actually out of town. And that afternoon, I checked my email from out of town. Like, every single major news station here in Houston had contacted me and asked if I were performing any, like, impromptu, emergency, last-minute weddings. And I was like, what? No. You know, I mean, no. First of all, because we didn't know what the ruling was going to be. You know, we hoped that this was what the ruling was going to be, but we weren't sure. And, um, and the ruling wasn't supposed to come in until Monday. So then it came in on Friday. I mean, I wasn't even in town. No. And then, um, you know, well, would I be, you know, performing any weddings on Saturday? No. Um, would I be performing any weddings on Sunday? And I, no, um, no, I would not. It was also Pride weekend and Pride Sunday is a big deal for our church. And my sermon was, you know, was going to be about what it means to celebrate this victory of marriage equality, but we will not rest until there are more gay and lesbian transgender by teenagers in our pews than there are homeless. Like we are not okay with what's going on with how we treat each other. And there are, um, you know, the number of, LGBTQ um, teen suicides this year is off the charts. It's just astronomical. And so, you know, after my sermon on Pride Sunday, we had a presentation of their pictures and their stories, and we all sat and and then this very talented 15 um, year old who's a singer, um, Rosie Murphy, sang. Um, I thought of you actually, Paula, because she sang True Colors and. Oh, just broke my heart. I mean, you're seeing these kids, um, yeah. these beautiful kids, so alive, and then hearing about how they died and why they took their own lives on pride Sunday. Like there's nothing to be proud about, <laughs> you know, yeah. our complicitness in these situations. So, and when I finally actually got up to had the time to answer one of the reporters who asked me to contact her and gave me her cell phone number to contact her immediately. If I would be, you know, as soon as I was doing a wedding, and I um, I just replied to her that the couples in our church who had been waiting to be legally married um, would enter into the covenant of marriage, like, thoughtfully and with great anticipation and celebration that it would be a worship service, not a media circus. Like, that's not why people get married. These are not, that's not who these people are. But I am happy to say we are doing a wedding. Um, a couple that has been together for, um, for 17 years, um, are getting married. And, and what is so unique about this couple is they're having a sunrise service um so like 7 17 a.m um, these two women are coming together to take communion and to um, become legally a married couple and it is the church's great joy to be able to officiate that service but there will be no news invited <laughs> no cameras other than their own photographer you know um, it's not a spectacle it's a covenant and I think that's part of trying to, you know, trying to change the definition and, and trying to change the understanding of what marriage is for us and what marriage is for everyone. That um, that it's not a spectacle. That it's it's a commitment and a covenant. And the church blesses that. And the church is thrilled that um, that that now there's also a document that we get
0: to sign that makes it legal. Like that's that's really thrilling. Well, and I love that you're that you're honoring that covenant in a way that. It would be I mean the media and society would love for anything to become overblown so they could get in the middle of it, but I love that you no know, this honors exactly what the covenant of marriage should be. It is a vow between two people and and their community, and that is that's I imagine all that people who have wanted equality in marriage have been longing for they don 't want the spotlight. <laughs> They just want love.
1: And really, I mean, I've been married, what, almost 17 years. Um, Please don't put my marriage under the microscope. Like, that is not what anybody wants. No. Um, Nobody wants to be examined. And no one wants their marriage held up as a spectacle or, you know, even as a role model. Like, we're all struggling to do the best we can to honor each other. And this wedding will be so sweet because it'll be followed by a big breakfast. And I'm like, it's perfection. Like, how exciting is that? Like, Let's start the day together when the sun rises and, um, and take communion and, um, and then break the fast with, you know, breakfast casserole and mimosas. I can't wait. <laughs> that is
0: a cool service. I do love that. I love the, the morning ceremonies and, and that whole idea of starting anew. That's beautiful. No, know
1: it is. It's a great uh-huh. resurrection metaphor. And it's what they've, they'd they always talked about. If it were ever legal, this is what they would do. So mm-hmm. when I got to meet with them, they're in their late 50s, like early 60s. And when I got to meet with them, like they knew exactly what they wanted. And I was like, wow, you know, you've had so much longer to think about this and dream. And um, and I want to, you know, we want to honor you with exactly, exactly what you want. So it's perfect.
0: I love it. And I love that it's a time and a place where... You're in the position just to say yes. I mean, to so, to so many things. So
1: good. It does. It really feels like an amazing moment in history. And I'm very thankful to the PCUSA. But the Presbyterian Church has always been um, kind of ahead of the pack um, in in issues of social justice, and that's what we see this, we see this as a social justice issue. So I'm thrilled. And actually, it was last summer, um, June of 2014, that our General Assembly um, elected, well, voted that um, that pastors in states where it was legal could perform um, same-gender marriages. So the Presbyterian Church has been doing that for a while in states where it was legal, I have to admit, I did not see that that I would be able to do that in Texas um, anytime soon. I was really stunned. But I'm happy to say that I have a couple that went down and got a license this week. And the clerk leapt up and hugged both their necks and said, congratulations. One of the women called me and said, we went in there kind of, you know, like, little nauseous, like we just weren't sure what we would find. And instead, it was just this surreal celebration. So it's good. It's a good time to be in the church. It really is. And all, you know, I like to say the rumors of the church's demise have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> like the church is doing fine. Um, it really is. In my church, especially, I mean, if it's any sort of microcosm of what's going on, you know, around the world, um, faithful people, you know, they want something more. You know, we have people that come in and say, I'm not really sure what I believe, or I'm not sure about all those miracles, or I'm not real sure about this part, or I'm not sure about the virgin birth, or I'm not sure about some of these things, but I'm feeling like I'm needing more. And I'm, you know, all I say is every Sunday, you know, welcome home, children of God. Like, it's good to be together in this place. And um, and if you, you know, are not feeling up to saying the statement of faith this week, if the Apostles' Creed seems a little far-fetched. That's okay, because your neighbor will, you know, will boo you up with their own words. Like, it's okay. So doubters are welcome, and um we're just in a safe place of honesty, and that feels really good. It feels good to be part of the church in 2015. I feel like it's in a really
0: interesting place. It definitely is, and I'd love... I mean, there's so much to say there too. I that just the idea of all of the stories having a place and I mean by the people and their stories all having a loving place to converge and be welcomed in, like, what a gift you're offering to them. And and any church that's doing something similar, like that's truly a gift to the world. I hope so. I hope
1: so. It's it's yeah. important to you know, I I think we serve an interesting niche and um
0: and I'm really I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Well, thank you for being there for all those and all of us. And visit. You have to come visit. <laughs> I want to. I want to. We will figure it out. I promise. I loved the blog that you maybe sometimes still run, but called Joy in the Chaos.
1: That I, start, I, I, I stopped writing when I had to start writing a sermon every week. Yeah. yeah, that blog. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. What does that title mean to you, Joy in the Chaos?
1: Well, I think that, um, I think that the call to be joyful is, um, is an interesting one. And, um, you know, I think that the word is thrown around a lot. And, you know, what does it mean? And is it fleeting or is it something you can work towards or attain? And, um, and I think that, that that title kind of came to me um, during a season where my children were small and, and life did feel chaotic. Um, now that my children are not so small, life is chaotic in a different way. You know, I mean, it's it's one thing when your house is a mess because there are toys everywhere. And it's another thing when your house is a mess because you have teenagers. I mean, you know, it's always a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that the idea uh, really came to me. I was I had a friend who was going through a rough time and having a really hard time with um, having any sort of feelings of contentment. She was just really living under a critical spirit and everything was wrong. And I found this just dorky, cute little notepad and it had a little bird on it. And it just said, the time to be happy is now. And I took it over to her and I was like, I don't, I hope this doesn't sound mean, but like you need to choose this. Like you've got to choose this because it's really hard to be around you. You're so negative. And, um, and, and she was like that. You're right. You're right. That that it's a decision. And I think that the whirlwind or the storm or the chaos or whatever is happening. You can't say when that stops, then I'll do something or then I'll be happy or then I'll be joyful or then I'll feel content or then I'll, you know, whatever it's the time to be happy is now. And um, I think people just waste so much time, Um, looking forward to something. And I saw something yesterday that was so great, this great quote. And it said, these are those days. And I was like, I ordered it from my laundry room. I'm like, (laughs) yes, like these are those days, like those days that I really longed for those days, like that's today. And either I can, you know, sleep through it, or I can be awake and appreciate it even if it's not efficient and really it's never efficient. You know, I mean, the days that um, are the most joyful to me. Yeah, it feels great to cross a few things off my growing list. But, um, but if I can be fully present with my kids, that's, that brings me great joy. And, and the older they get, and it's, it's hard. I mean, if I can get an authentic smile from my almost 15 year old, it really feels like I've won the lottery. Like it really does. And um I crave those moments and, and when they happen, like I just I just try to slow down. I went through a season where um it felt like gosh, everyone I, I was talking to was being diagnosed with breast cancer and um and that, that has slowed down a little bit with my circle of friends with their treatments, but it just felt like the world was on fire and everything was falling apart. And to try to write that blog and to try to think about, you know, what is something I'm grateful for or where am I finding solace, um, even when I'm just furious, like I'm just furious with God and I'm furious with everything. But I do believe that I was never promised safety or security. Um, what I was promised was relationships. That's what brings me joy. So I think finding joy is is something that is important, not only because I'm a pastor um and a mom and a wife and a woman but just for my own sanity that, you know, I could really just just feel like I'm drowning with the bad news. And God is saying, you know, like I've thrown you a lifeline and it's called relationship. Stay in it. You know, experience some joy in that because there's really nothing better.
0: Thank you so much. Oh. I mean really for everything that you bring to the world because we need more of what what you what you're what you're saying and what you're leading people to. And so just heartfelt gratitude to have you out there amongst us. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. If someone listening has a big dream about how they could make a change in the world, what advice would you give to them about bringing their dream into action? I think that you've got to
1: just start the conversation. And so I think that surrounding yourself with Well, and this is just good advice for anyone and any day, but just surround yourself with the smartest people you can find. It is just it's just and really surround yourself with people who you feel are far more intelligent than you are because you really are smarter than you think. And being in those conversations, I think, are are just super important. I think if you have a new idea or you know you see this opportunity or you're dreaming of this opportunity, then to talk to the people who are kind of the best at it, it really stretches you. And and maybe you can, you know, maybe realize, oh, this has kind of already been done or, oh, this is an opportunity, or oh I need to take this special class to be proficient in this, or whatever you need to do, you know, there are people who know about it already and can help you. I think so, I think smart people super important, I think trying to figure out what that looks like, and then behaving and acting in a way that that equals that task, right? I think that we just diminish ourselves so much, but I think if you can walk into a meeting or a room, you know like for you. Like, I am the executive director, you know, or I am, you know, this title. Time for you to recognize that in me. And I know, like, for me, you know, I mean, I'm a preaching pastor. And so I preach every Sunday. So before I started doing that, really getting used to that understanding and title of what I have to tell you is important and worthy, um, it's worth listening to. So when I start talking I don't, apologize. like, don't start with the apology and self-deprecation of, oh, I hope this is a good idea, or, oh, gosh, I hope you haven't heard this before, or, this is just my humble opinion. I'm so sick of that. In my humble opinion needs to go away. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a humble opinion. If it's your opinion, then own it. Don't act humble about it. That's ridiculous. So women need to stop apologizing for in my humble opinion. That needs to go away. You know, if I started a sermon out with, well, here are my little thoughts. No, like I'm speaking on behalf of, you know, the cosmic god of the universe. So there's nothing little about this. You know, you've got to own what you're about. And I think that, that people sense that and people are drawn to that people are drawn to confidence. And Even if you're totally bullshitting it, like you can just be totally like, oh, my God, I'm getting ready to pass out, but I'm going to act like I can do this. You'll you can live into that. And I think that's super important because we are just so untapped. I mean, there's so many parts of us that we're not even dealing with. We're so much more gifted and so much more. I don't know. We are just so much more than we're giving ourselves credit for. And a lot of that is just because we're tired, I think, and um and because it's just easier to watch other people do things like on TV. You know, it's just easier to watch other things happen than to, you know, jump into the ring yourself. But um, you know, the fact is is that, you know, you may need a certain class or you may need a certain certification. Um, and that's that's like concrete tactical things that you might have to do logistically psychologically and emotionally and socially like you're ready for it That's part you need to be confident in I think confidence just begets confidence I think it's contagious I think it's attractive I think we're drawn to it like a magnet you know and basically you have to believe in what you're saying and what you're doing and um and have integrity with it and um and whether that means like before I get on my conference call like I really need to like, do my hair and get dressed, even if no one's going to see me, because I need to, like, have the confidence of, um, of someone who's going into the workplace. Um, so, I am I am actually not in my pajamas during this conversation. Like, I even have earrings on, you know. I'm dressed in taste. Yeah, me too. You yeah, great. But I think that's important. I think that um, – that we discount, you know, how much our body image affects our confidence. And it's important to just present the whole package because that's what you are. Like you're selling a package. You're selling yourself. You want that to be as confidence-building and as strong and sturdy as you can get it. I don't know why I said sturdy. That's a weird word. Maybe <laughs> not sturdy.
0: Complete. I'm, I'm a
1: sturdy gal myself, so <laughs> I like to it. weird. <laughs> sturdy ladies <laughs> just what a gal wants to be thought of is that yes. Kathleen she's sturdy yeah no
0: <laughs> yeah there are a lot of things that I'd that's like to true be true or
1: not don't ever say that to a woman Yeah. no don't no, that's a good
0: piece of advice too sturdy isn't one of our favorites <laughs> no. yeah I love that I love your, your advice here in like owning it and and I know one of the hard things for me was like really feeling like in integrity if I'm if I'm pulling the package together and selling it, exactly. I think there's something icky, if you will, about putting yourself out there and, and doing the marketing piece. Because, right. And I don't know if that's just women or lots of people, but I think the confidence piece comes into that. And those, those two go totally hand in hand. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Okay. And then our last
0: question, what are three ways you can think of, to jumpstart your life in the world or in other people's lives. So three ways. Can I repeat myself from something
1: I've already said? Maybe I guess I would start with, you know, prayer and meditation that like you really need to, um, figure out like where God is calling you, and um, and if the dream is recurring or if the same message keeps coming back to you or if there's some consistency, then I say go for it. I think if you've had the idea like you know more than a couple of times, then it's 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 more than just a passing fancy. Like I think it's something real. Again, I cannot discount the importance of surrounding yourself with smart people. Like I just think that that is is the tipping point for for being networked and connected. And I know LinkedIn is like, you know, the grand Taj Mahal of everything right now. And that's important. But I think having conversations with really smart people um, is far more important and getting ideas. And um, I think also a third thing, um, I think you have to commit. I really do. And I know like I see you and how long, you know, this has been a dream for you. And um, I think the jumping off point is got to be terrifying, but you've got to commit to it, you know, like put it on the calendar. Here's the deadline. This is what I'm doing. Um, because, you know, we tend to just be caretakers of everyone but ourselves and those deadlines move around so much. But I think committing to something is is hugely important. Okay. There I'm are my three. I got it.
0: Yay. Yes, yeah. I think those are such such wise words. And I think the commitment to, yeah. And yeah. And I think my story totally is that very thing. Like, exactly yeah, I was doing the work so to speak, but then the ownership of it, like just saying, well, no, this is right. even saying that out loud. No, this is what I want to do. I want to be a speaker. I want to re- leave more retreats. I-, I want to life coach. Like, and I just said it all right. Like, so I'm all in at this point and even the change Since that has been something that I can, you know, like articulate and, and get comfortable telling other people out loud and on Skype and, you know, like that is the whole thing that until you can get there, the commitment piece, if it's elusive, you're going to have a really hard time, like, falling into the joy that very well could be yours.
1: Exactly. And I think for me, like. You know, I think there was a time when the idea of like a reverend being in front of my name was like, that's crazy. Like, I hope that happens. And now I'm like, of course, that's my title. But you have
0: to really commit to it. I think that that is a great place to wrap it up. Kathy, it has been a total joy to have you here on this great journey. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Have a great day.
0: And that's the interview for today. A special thank you to my friend, Kathleen for joining us on episode one and thank you to all of you for listening in next week i have a very special interview lined up with dr amy avazade she's a fertility specialist and the founder of the egg freezing party you really aren't going to want to miss this one until then i hope your days are filled with joy